Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles. And I would spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. And those who mourn as though they were not mourning. And those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing. And those who buy as though they had no goods. And those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried man or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly towards his betrothed, if his passions are strong and it has to be, let him do as he wishes, let them marry, it is no sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control, and has determined this in his heart, to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So then, he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. Yet, in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is, and I think that I too have the Spirit of God. This is God's holy and inerrant word. Let's ask him now to bless not only the reading of it, but our understanding of it. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this time, and we pray, Lord, that you would, by your Spirit, take your word and apply it to us, your people, so that we might be a bright witness to this here community, that we might live fully as unto obedience to the Lord, and that we might be a people through whom you are pleased to draw many others in saving faith to yourself. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We've been slowly kind of working through 1 Corinthians 7, and, and, and Paul has been dealing with what it means to be a Christian in different relations, relationships, and different stations in life. Part of the issue was the Greek philosophy and the Greek dualistic view that said spiritual things are good but physical things are bad and therefore it's good not to have sexual relations. Therefore it's good to, uh, to, to be single. And uh, perhaps many of the Greeks within the Corinthian church were saying this, whereas other Jew, Jewish believers were saying, well no, it is good to be in a relationship 
God has given man and woman to be, be together as we see in Genesis 1 to do and to have a family. Uh, and, and, and so Paul is, is dealing with these diverging views. And he's, he's already told us it's good to be married and in, to enjoy the intimacy of being married. He's told us if you become a Christian and you're not married, it's fine to stay single. If you become a Christian and your spouse is not a believer, it's good to stay married with them. But if they leave, then you are free from them. But now he moves and and he wants to encourage us to see the goodness of singleness. What does it mean to have a savior and be single? I think this is something good for even us today in a culture that values inordinately relationships. We are, to be sure, a culture imbibed in sexuality. It's kind of blasted all over our, our, our screens for us to think about all the time. And, and even the evangelical church is always exalting the goodness of relationships over and against singleness. We, we, we tend to think that if I'm single, I've not yet made it. Paul pushes back on that. In fact, he says, the end of this section, in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is. He wants to encourage us and show us the goodness of singleness. And he's going to do so in three ways. First, in verses 25 through 31, we'll see that singleness allows us the freedom to live. The freedom to live. Secondly, in verses uh, 32 through 35, singleness allows us the freedom to serve. The freedom to serve. And lastly, in verses 36 through 40, we see that singleness, well, with singleness, we have the freedom to decide. We have the freedom to decide. First, we have the freedom to live. Look at verse 25 and 26 now concerning the betrothed, or you could translate there as uh, virgins. Uh, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in the view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Now, he has no commandment here from the Lord Jesus Christ. He's already quoted the Lord Jesus Christ earlier, but here he says, I don't have, I don't have an explicit command, but I do have a trustworthy principle by which you ought to live as Christians. And this isn't just a mere opinion, as if Paul is saying, I'm not inspired by the Holy Spirit. He is. This is a command. But nonetheless, it's a command that says, here's a principle to apply. Thank you, Phil don't want to litter. Here's a principle to apply. And it's not so much, it's not so much a difference between what is right and wrong. It's a difference between what's good, better, and best. And Paul says, what I think is better is if a person remains as he is. Are you not yet married? It is good, verse 26, to remain as he is. Why? Well, he says, are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she's not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, 
and I would spare you that. The first reason is that there comes troubles, worldly troubles, by attaching yourself with somebody who is a spouse. He says, when you're single, you are free from troubles. He, He kind of builds on this. Look at verses 29 and following. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. Verse 31, those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it, for the present form of this world is passing away. I think Paul's point is this. By remaining single, you are free to live in such a way that you can give your full attention to serving Christ in a world that is quickly ending. Just notice the way he talks about our current existence right now. Verse 28, again, worldly troubles. Verse 29, this is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. The end of verse 31, for the present form of this world is passing away. He's bringing to bear on our questions of whether we should get married or not, the reality that this present world is going to end. We are headed in a direction where Christ will come back. And all of this, all of our cares, all of our current relationships, all of our kind of current stations in life will fall away and we will forever serve our bridegroom, Jesus Christ. And in light of that, you are free to live in such a way to serve Christ in light of his coming. If you attach yourself to somebody else, there's, there's anxieties that arise from that. There are worldly troubles that, that you're just kind of linking on to yourself if you say, I'm ready to get married. What does Paul mean? I think it was more true for him in his day than it is for us, though that might be changing. That might be changing. To become a Christian in Paul's day was to de facto put yourself in a position that made it hard to live fluently in society. Jobs were harder to get because you couldn't participate in the, uh, uh, in the rituals that any kind of job market would have you to do. Being a citizen within Rome uh, was hard to do because by law you had to go and bow down to Caesar and, and, and sacrifice at the different temples. And Christian says, no, we cannot do that. And so de facto becoming a believer meant that you were stepping into a realm and a world where persecution was bound to happen. Insofar as you did that and still wanted to serve Christ, he's saying, do you realize that that reality becomes so much more difficult when you have a family with you? Consider me, says Paul. I've been whipped multiple times. I've been stoned in Jerusalem, he says in 2 Corinthians. I've been imprisoned for preaching the gospel. And yet, when I get out, I go and do it again. And yet, when I get out, I'm ready to talk to people about Jesus Christ. Do you think that I'd be free to make those bold and, and, and selfless decisions if I had a wife and kids 
I had to provide for at home. And he says, no, in light of the current troubles, and in light of living in this eschatological age where Christ is coming back, but we don't know when yet, and while we wait, we live in troubled times, in light of that, I want to be unencumbered as I can to serve the Lord. In light of that, remaining single frees you to live towards Christ. I often pray for my kids. I, I did this morning that the, Lord would, that the Lord would sanctify them now to be a good husband for any future wife and a good wife for a future husband. And, and then I pray, Lord, would you indeed be raising up right now for my son an incredibly godly wife and for my daughter a godlier man than me? So that, you know, when that wedding day comes and, and the pastor asks, uh, who gives this woman to be married to this man? And, and I say, my wife and I do. I can, with a good conscience, look that man in the eye and say, yeah, I think you're going to do even a better job than I did in caring for my girl. But after that, I also pray, Lord, might you also give them the gift to remain single if you so see fit so that they might serve you to the best of their ability before Christ comes back. What would happen if we prayed for our children to be raised to be missionaries and to have none of the worries that come with a family so that they could, with boldness and courage, go into countries where Christianity is outlawed and say, I will spend my life because I can and I'm free to live this way right now, giving the gospel to a people who want to kill me because of Jesus Christ. I think Paul is calling us to step out of our perspective in this world right here, right now, and in view of the coming of Christ, say, what does it really mean to live? What does it really mean to have the freedom to live? Getting married isn't the end-all, be-all of why God has called us to this world. We often, I, I had this fear when I first became a Christian, and I was a single man. You know, we often hear this fear. Come, Lord Jesus, crumb. Come, we, 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 we quote from Revelation, but then we add that little caveat. But can you wait until I get married and have a family? Paul is saying, do you see how much more weighty and beautiful the coming of the Lord is in these troubled times? These, this is a fallen world. And to have that perspective frees us up from trying to find our identity in, in, in relationships that won't last when Christ comes back. Matthew 22, in heaven, you will neither be given to marriage or given into marriage, but like the angels, you will be single. If we are heavenly minded, oh, Paul says, you are, you are broken free of the shackles of this world to live in a way that can change cultures and give the gospel. So the first point is we're free to live. Secondly, he says we're free to serve. And this somewhat builds upon this first point, but look at verse 32 and following. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, 
how to please the Lord, but the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. I remember uh, in seminary, after class, you'd talk with a bunch of guys. We're all young, single, geeky, because we're reading all these theology books and, you know... um, but we're thinking, we're thinking about marriage. And oftentimes the, the conversation, you'd hear in the conversation, guys say, well, yeah, be, be, before becoming a pastor of a church, before a church calls me, they would say, uh, I want to make sure I find a wife. Because churches look more favorably upon a man who is well-rounded and, and has his wife and his family. I think, I think from a, just a cultural perspective, that, that seems to be right. But it totally misses the point that Paul says here. Now, look, don't get me wrong. I love my family. and I I don't want to trade that out for anything. Uh, The Lord has called me to be a husband and a father, and I love it. But Paul's point is absolutely true here. And there's often times in any given week where I've got to say no to some shepherding duty some, some task that is brought to me as a pastor that I want to fulfill in serving the church and I have to say no. Why? Well, because I haven't seen my kids in over a day. And I know all they want to do before they go to bed is just play with daddy. And, and I have that worry and it's a good worry. And so I have to say, no, no, sorry. We, we, we've got to cut this meeting short because for the next hour, I'm, I'm just going to go wrestle, Right. And that's good and right, but, but Paul's point is just that. Your, your, your attention is divided. And so it's good to remain single, he says, verse 34, so that his interests are not divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit, but the married woman is anxious about worldly things. How to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. If you're here this morning and you're not a believer, these two truths, I imagine, have to sound to you not only alien, but just strange, remarkably strange. You're telling me to give up the joy of a warm body in bed every morning and the joy of family and the comfort and security of a spouse because Jesus is coming back? I get how absurd that sounds and all I can answer is yes, we really do believe that. And I would encourage you to wrestle with that truth. That if the Lord is the Lord, and he really has promised that he's returning, that truth changes everything about our lives. This isn't really sacrificial to come here on a Sunday morning, sit in the cold. We're going to give some of our money from the paycheck to, to support the work of the gospel. That's actually on the scale of sacrifice and weirdness, very low. And yet, it ratches it up a little bit when we say, and I'm willing to not get married to serve that Lord. 
and yep, I'm willing to move to a foreign country, North Korea, if I can sneak, sneak myself in there to serve the Lord. And yes, I will do all things and bring every area of life to the question of what can I do to honor and serve the Lord. And insofar as God has given me opportunities to do that, the Christian, the Christian wants to say, as Isaiah does in Isaiah chapter 6, send me, Lord. I want that. We do this because we realize that our Lord has given up far more to serve us. He gave up the glories of heaven. He gave up the praise of men upon earth. And he gave up communion with his Father. So that as on the cross, he received nothing but the hate and wrath of God the Father in order to honor God in all that he did. We believe that, we trust that, and we're changed by that. I would encourage you, and I'm praying for you, that you would take seriously that call as well. Paul says, look, that reality allows you to be free to serve and to remain single if God so calls you to that. Lastly, he gives us the freedom to decide, verses 36 and following. Look, if anyone thinks that he's not behaving properly towards his betrothed, we know what that means, right? You're done with work. You're, uh, you're over at, at your girlfriend's house who, you know, you're, you're betrothed to. You, you, you've proposed. You're watching Netflix and you want to chill. Paul says, if you find yourself in that position and it's hard to hold back from the chill aspect, get married. It, it's good to be married. You're, you're not in sin if you say, I really want to be with this person. Paul says, yes, it, it's good to be single. But if for you it's good to be married, go for it. Do it. He says, if his passions are strong and it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. It is no sin. But, but, verse 37, whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desires under control, that is, are you able to say no? Are you able to withhold your bodily passions and say, I don't need intimacy with you right now? If that's you, and you've determined in your heart to, to keep her as betrothed, then, then stay single. Stay single in order to use your singleness now to serve the Lord. So then he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. Uh, Paul gives us here again his principle. It's not a matter of either or. It's a matter of what is best for you in the position that God has called you. And if you find that now... In his providence, an opportunity is opened up for you to get married, and you really want to get married, then go for it. What if you have that opportunity? There is a suitor knocking on your door, a smart, godly person whom you find yourself attracted to. But you have yourself under control, and at the same time, 
you are being used at your church or in some ministry to serve the Lord and by saying yes to this suitor will draw you away from that ministry. Paul's point here is you have the freedom. But do you see the encouragement? There's betterness in sacrifice. There's betterness in sacrifice. One of these two will end. One will have fruit that reverberates on into glory, and another won't. Choose. Choose which one wisely. He ends here speaking to widows, and we'll end here as well. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she's free to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. Again, the principle here is, we talked about this last week, Christians are only called to marry other Christians, only in the Lord. If you're married and your spouse dies, he says you're free to marry anybody else if you want, but make sure that they're a believer as well. But then he ends. Yet in my judgment, she is happier. Don't don't miss that word. Paul isn't calling the widow who remains single to a life of dour, imprisoned ministry like a nun locked up in the church. No, there is true joy and happiness in serving the Lord. She's happier. We know Paul himself was married at one point, whether his wife left him because he became a Christian or she died. Paul gives us his own life as an example. That he was truly content and happy in serving the Lord. I'm sure he woke up some nights missing what was, thinking about her. But what encouraged him with a delight and happiness that that surpassed anything of this world was his commitment to knowing Christ. Friends, if anything pops out of this passage that lines it all together, it's the life-changing sacrifice that we can make in light of knowing Christ and finding our deepest delight in Christ. We glorify God when we're most satisfied in him, right? We glorify God in our service and sacrificial sacrificial ways. And we're able to do so when we find ourselves most deeply satisfied and happy in who Christ is for us. I, I would encourage us to be a church that doesn't put singleness on this weird shelf of 18, 20, 30-year-olds just waiting to be married. No, 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 no. They're not on the shelf waiting. They're in God's providential hand to be used in glorious Paul-like ways. I would encourage us to be a church not, not to exalt and seem happier over our kids who get married and a little bit embarrassed about our kids who aren't, but be absolutely excited about what the Lord is doing in our married kids' lives and raising up our children to be absolutely excited about being single and serving the Lord. And I would be most happy if we're a church that knows the truth of Christ coming back and finding our satisfaction in Him and that we would be sold out and devoted to that main commitment over and above anything else.